Well, it's your first time. We are starting a new series, a new series, and the title is Faith to Flourish. Everybody say Faith to Flourish. I want you to hear my heart real quick. This is the first uh, sermon in this series. So I always like to uh, take the first sermon to really set it up. Amen. Come on now. He's already passionate about Jesus. Let's go. Uh, he's like, faith to flourish. Faith to flourish. Um, take that passion outside, it looks like. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, um, or to the nursery. It's all good. Uh, one of my responsibilities as a communicator, and I want to hear this real quick, is I believe that I'm supposed to teach and preach. And I believe teaching is the purpose of sharpening the axe. And then preaching is the encouragement to go swing the axe. Another way I could say it is when I am communicating the word of God, I believe the word of God gives us direction for our life. Promise is this way. Joy is this way. Victory is this life, this way. Direction is very important. A lot of people are going nowhere fast. They're in a rush, but they have the wrong direction. So I believe teaching points in the right direction. And I believe preaching calls you to action. You know the right direction. you got to get off of your tushy, if I could put it that way, and start running towards the things of God. Does sound good? Hebrews 12.1 simply says that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders us, and run the race that's set before us. So there is a race for you to run. There is a life for you to live. And so one of the things that I want to do today is I want to set up some of the principles I believe that God showed us that we need to have in our life to flourish. And then every sermon is going to be a story of faith. The story today will be out of Luke, and it's going to be about the one about cutting the hole in the roof, and that'll be the story I'll share in a little bit. But I kind of want to set up really some principles on how to flourish that God shows. Because if I don't teach you, and I just tell you to go swing an axe, how, how dangerous is it when we're sincere but sincerely wrong? Have we seen those people? They, they, they want to go do something great, but they don't know, have the wealth of wisdom yet, or they don't know where they're supposed to go yet. So they're sometimes doing more harm than good. I want our church to be a church that knows truth and also knows freedom. Do you hear what I'm saying? So first one I want to say is this is uh, the flourishing process, the flourishing process. One of the first things we have to understand is that it is going to be a process. There is a rhythm that God shows us in his word that we are botanical, okay? Now, if you don't know the word botanical, that makes sense to me. That's normal, okay? I'm not a gardener either. Botanical is just a, a way of comparing us to plants. Psalm 1, he compares us to a tree. Psalm 92, he talks about us flourishing. In John 15, the vine and the branch. Uh, Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit, they're all fruit. There is a botanical connection, the way God shows us, that we will grow like plants, basically, or to learn how plants grow. And so I wrote down a quote, so one of my favorite quotes is, greatness doesn't happen in a day, but it does happen daily. And really what God shows through Psalm 1, that those who are planted in the word of God, they will flourish. Those who are planted in the house of God, they will flourish. Those uh, people who um, literally are led by the Spirit and are directed by the Spirit, they will produce the Spirit of love, joy, peace, and patience. You hear what I'm saying? Now, I, I, want, to catch, I want you to catch this real quick. I would, I, I'll, I'll say it this way. The Word of God in Psalm 1, I'm going to call it the soil. When you plant your life in the soil of Jesus, and you literally say, okay, this is where my mind's going to meditate. This is what I'm going to follow. This is what I'm going to let shape me. This is what I'm going to let direct me. There is going to be flourishing in your life because instead of just following the world's way, because culture has a different idea on how to um, live a great life every 20 years, basically. But the word of God is timeless. And there are principles in the word of God that will set you up to win. So that, that is the, the thing you should be planted in. And this next season, we're going to encourage people more than ever to get in the word of God. If you're not in the word, you are literally going to be withering instead of flourishing. Does this make sense? Picture a plant ripped out of soil. Is it going to succeed or not succeed? It will not succeed. The other part is, it says in Psalm 92, 13, that those who are planted in the house of God, the courts of God, they will flourish. I believe the climate of your life, whoever you surround yourself with, is going to determine if you flourish or if you wither. 
If you take a plant and put it in a terrible climate, it will not succeed. You take a, the same plant and put it in a climate, a climate of faith, a climate of encouragement, a climate of challenging you to be everything you're supposed to be, that plant will flourish. That's what this church is going to be. Is this making sense this morning? Perfect. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we go through your message, may this be a message where we get challenged, inspired, encouraged to become everything you called us to be. Lord, may we be planted in your house. May we be planted in your word. Uh, may we invest in the right things. May we not just be spending our time and energy in this world, but may we actually come to the house of God and may our lives be changed forever. May my words fall to the floor and may your words soar. Everybody said? First principle I want you to catch real quick is that you must decide where you're going to put your faith in. We're trusting something. You're putting your faith in something. Who uses Yelp? Anybody use Yelp? Raise your hand. Yes, I've put my faith in Yelp a little too much, okay? I will not go, if, if there's three stars, I trust, Yelp told me not to go three, four stars, I'll eat there. I won't even blink at it. I have put my faith in Yelp, okay? If there's two stars, I'm, it doesn't matter how good it is, Yelp is now where I put my faith in restaurants. Does this make sense? You're having things direct to you. I have faith in some people to recommend a movie and faith in others not to recommend a movie. You know what I'm saying? I actually have no street cred when it comes to recommending movies. I made one mistake and everybody makes fun of it. I said Knight's Tale is the greatest movie ever when I was like, anybody love Knight's Tale? My people, my church, come on. It was, like, it was my Bill Buckner of moments. The ball went right through my legs. You know what I'm saying? It was just, I blew it, okay? And so I remember calling up all my friends, hey, you got to go see Knight's Tale. It is the greatest movie I've ever seen. They come back to me like, man, you owe me five bucks. This is when movies were $5. Man, the good old days. Mm. You owe me five bucks. And so I'd go recommend another movie. Like, hey, you got to go see this movie. Like, no, nah, man, no, nah, no. Nah. You already got me with a, a nice tale. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Now, catch this real quick. Would you give faith to somebody who recommended 10 out of 10 good movies? Would you, would you, would you trust that person? Sure. I think that's an easy, simple thing we can all agree on, yeah? Well, God is batting 1,000. He is 100 for 100. Everything he has promised has come to fruition. There's only a handful of prophecies left in the eschatology of end times that are going to come to fruition. Him promising that Israel become a nation. It happened in 1948, I believe. There's something about our God where he doesn't say, man, it should be all right. And you go, it wasn't that good. No, if you live his way, actually his way, it is guaranteed to be the best way for your life. And you should put your faith in God. It's crazy that we'll listen to somebody else who's batting 500 instead of the king of kings who's never failed us. I want you to catch this real quick. It says this in Haggai 1. It's, it's a fascinating challenge from the Lord. It's 18 years after being freed from captivity, God's people are self-centered and living for themselves. It's fascinating. Basically, if we could compare the freedom from captivity, it's like when you say yes to Jesus, that is the first step of entering in the promise of your life, to flourish in your life. But if you say yes to Jesus, but you don't live like Jesus, you're not going to reap the, the benefits. Do you hear what I'm saying? So Haggai, or Haggai, whichever way you want to pronounce it, I'm all good, potato, potato. This is what the Lord of the Heaven's Army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvested little. Do you ever feel like you're working so hard and you're trying to ask yourself, where is it, what is it producing? You ever look at our culture, people are, um, their margins, they have none anymore. They're saturated. They're, they're working 80-hour weeks, and they're saying, what am I working for? He goes on to say, you eat and are not satisfied. You drink and are still thirsty. How many people do you know live a week of life and give everything they got, and the very end of the week, they're still dissatisfied, and they're not overflowing with joy? These people are self-centered, and they're living the way the world has told them to live, and God's saying, look at yourself. You're not satisfied and you're still thirsty. It's because you're drinking from the world and you're trying to have the world satisfy only what I can satisfy. He goes on to say, it's an amazing thing. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you're putting them in pockets filled with holes. 
Man, it feels like you're just trying everything to have victory, but the problem is that you're trying to have victory in the wrong places. I just simply wrote down, it's a very simple principle, where you plant your life matters is what God's saying to him. Where you spend your time matters. Where you invest your time matters. It's amazing to me that the word of God promises you, if you start reading the word of God, it is the bread for your life. Psalm 119 says it's the light and lamp for your life. This is an amazing promise from God, but we cannot budget five to 10 minutes to get in the thing that will give us victory. So we give the whole day to this world and we wonder why we're tasting defeat instead of victory. God has challenged us, look at your life. If you're not flourishing, try my way and see what flourishing looks like. Goes on to say, he goes, you're putting them in pockets and they're filled with holes. Goes on to say, this is what the Lord of the heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up to the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but you were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. <sighs> because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses. Man, busy, man. That marks our culture like no other. I wrote down a simple quote. The purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. What? The purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. One of my buddies gave me that quote. I loved it. The purpose of life is not to live for pleasure. The purpose of life is not to be self-centered. It's to live a purpose bigger than yourself. To follow the King of kings and Lord of lords. Man, you start living that way. Watch what happens in your life. I wrote down this. You will not flourish if you use your freedom to build your own kingdom. One of the first things that I want to encourage you, and just a principle, just want to teach to sharpen the axe. As I encourage you to have faith in God, do not have faith that he'll build your own kingdom. Do not have faith that he's going to do what you want him to do. Have faith that he's going to allow you to be a part of the greatest story ever told. Amen. Have faith that when you say yes to his story, that it will satisfy your soul more than anything else could satisfy your soul. Do not use your freedom to build your own house. Build God's house. And what's amazing, the Bible shows, Psalm 37, here's a promise. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. It's, 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 it's all in front of us. All the promises are right there, but the world is so deceptive that we buy into living a different rhythm. Let's keep going. Next one is, you must have faith for your todays and tomorrows. Another simple principle, uh, 2 Kings 7, 1 through 9. Elijah says this, hear the word of the Lord. Everybody say, hear the word of the Lord. I'll take that. That's pretty passionate. I'm good. Um, let me catch you real quick. I believe in our culture, we are listening to anything and everything except the word of the Lord. A lot of us, at least. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about culture. I'm talking about maybe some people in the house that you're not really uh, around people that are encouraging you in scripture. They're not encouraging you in, in, in truth in God. And so you leave the day and basically all you hear is things of this world. But man, you are not going to find victory unless you hear the word of the Lord. And this is what the word of the Lord said in this moment. It's an amazing thing. It says, by this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. And 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. Stop. Set the context up. Basically, there's a huge famine in the land. There's a huge famine and nobody has anything to eat. And comes on to say that, man, we're not going to have famine. We are going to have a flourishing society. And I believe that we're in a famine right now in our culture. We're in a famine of love. I believe that people want to be loved. They want to be known. And they're going in the culture to find those things. But they are not finding it. They are broken. And so God makes this promise, you are going to flourish. But here's what the person's response is. The officer assisting the king said to the man, that can't happen. Even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elijah replied, you will see it happen with your own eyes. But you won't be able to eat any of it. Simple principle is simply this. is Your doubt will destroy your tomorrows. I wrote, uh, outlook determines outcome. Simply put, if you think small, you will live small. If you think small, you will live small. 
In the 1850s, a, a tightrope guy, I'll, I'll give you his name actually, why not? Make it more realistic. Charles uh, Blondin. Charles Blondin, 1859, came over to the Niagara Falls and walked across it on a tightrope. First man ever to do it, 1859. And people were so amazed by it that he would come back and do other things. He would carry a tree across the tightrope to impress everybody. And there'd be another thing. Okay, now I'm going to take a wheelbarrow and put a, a bag of um, sand in it. I'm going to walk the wheelbarrow across the, uh, the type rope over the Niagara Falls. And people would watch and they'd be amazed by this man's talent and this man's skill. He never fell. There was this one time, as the story goes, that he was crossing over with this wheelbarrow and there was sand in it. And somebody yelled, you should put a person in the wheelbarrow. And so he goes, do you believe that I could walk across this thing with a person inside the wheelbarrow? And everybody was like, yeah. And he goes, can I have a volunteer? And everybody's like, ah. <laughs> it was this amazing moment of, do you believe that God can take your life from this brokenness and take you to this place that is victory? And I think a lot of people say, yeah. And then you go, will you give your God your whole life, everything you are, would you jump all in and let him lead you there? <sighs> is believing enough to have everything that God has for you? Is believing enough to have flourishing uh, life in this, in this day? No, it's not. I think the problem is, is what we do is we say, God, you can have this part of my life right here. I trust you with this part, but you can't have this part of my life. And God is saying, I can't take you over to your promise if you only give me one foot. You have to get inside the wheelbarrow, if I could put it that way, and allow Jesus Christ, the one that conquered the grave, that has never failed, that has brought one person after another. One of my favorite things how we defeat the enemy is when we share the testimony of our life. Because the testimony, it says in Revelation 12, that the power, the blood of the lamb, the, the testimony, and not loving our life too much is how we defeat the enemy. And I believe one of the reasons why is, is that if I could just have person after person, that's why we did chapter two, come up here and say, hey, I used to try to do life in my own strength. I thought I was charismatic enough, strong enough. And there came this moment in my life where I was dissatisfied and I was weak and I wanted to quit. And so finally I hopped in the wheelbarrow and I allowed God to bring me over to this place and restore me and restore my mind. And I found out that all the worst things that I ever did in my life, that he forgave me and he made me whiter than snow. And when you hear those stories, what, really what people are saying is, he brought me from here to here. And now it's your turn to get in and have him bring you from here to here. Do you hear what I'm saying? So my prayer in this series is that you would have a faith not of this world. That you would have a faith that would flourish. That you would have a faith that your family would benefit from. That you would have a faith that this church would benefit from. That you would have a faith to live a life not of this world. That you would stop trusting in your own finances and your own uh, wisdom. And you would actually say, okay, God, I'm going to give you a shot this season. Go ahead. Just even give him 40 days. Put him on the clock. All right. Maybe it's not biblical. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm a pastor. I probably should. But here's what I'm thinking. I believe this. If you give God just a season of your life, it takes a season for a plant to start to birth. Yes? You just give him a season to grow you and to shape you and to prune you. Oh, just to start seeing how satisfied your soul is and how your mind starts to become renewed and the broken ways you used to think, you start to think like Jesus and joy starts to overflow. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm going to read the story and then we're going to look at the points and this is basically how each sermon will go on from here out. And it's going to be a quicker one because of the setup, but Luke 5, 17 through 39, if you have a Bible, it's turned there. I want to share a story. In each story that I share, it's testimony of really what other people did in the Bible that trusted God and saw breakthrough. And the faith to flourish, if I could 
have a message title under the message title is this is really faith for breakthrough. Faith for something that maybe you just feel like you've been hitting the wall over and over again. And God wants to give you breakthrough, but I believe there are faith principles that you must live by to have that breakthrough. Is this making sense today? Luke 5, 17, 39 says this. One day while Jesus was teaching some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby, it seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strong with Jesus. Some men carrying, first point, a paralyzed man on a, uh, on a sleep mat, they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took some tiles. And then they lowered the sick man on the mat down to the crowd right in front of Jesus, seeing their faith. Everybody say faith. faith. Come on, God's seen their faith. And you'll see throughout, this is a rhythm that Jesus has. He gauges people's faith. People say, I've never seen faith like this in all the land. Why can't this be healed? You don't have enough faith. There's something about faith. There's something about persistent faith. There's something about even when things don't happen, having faith that God didn't allow it to happen because he has something else that he wants them to have happen. Do you hear what I'm saying? Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on, each, uh, on earth for, to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. Man, that's a prayer on our house, that people would be gripped with wonder and awe. They'd walk in and they'd go, man, why is there so much joy in this place? Why is there so much life? Why are so many people being saved? Why is so many things happening in this house? It's not because of a man, it's because of Jesus Christ who has poured out his spirit on this church. I want to catch this real quick. Point one, I believe that if you want to have faith to flourish, is you need to have faith in relationships. Faith in relationships. Let's go. You need to be planted in the church. My first point, Psalm 92, 13. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. I wrote this down. We all need some faith friends. We all need some faith friends. One of the first points you see is this man is paralyzed. I believe one of the hardest things is that trying to restore yourself when you're broken. Now, just like greatness doesn't happen in a day, but it happens daily, relationships don't happen in a day, but they happen daily. The enemy is in the isolation business. Isolation doesn't happen in a day, but it happens daily. The enemy knows if he can isolate you and get you broken in the corner and you have no faith friends, if I could put it that way, that could rally around you when you're broken and you're going through a hard time, he can pin you there and destroy your life. Because Jesus' purpose for your life, John 10, 10, is to come giving you abundant life. The Greek word is actually super abundance. Let's use the word flourishing for today. Does that sound good? But the enemy's point is to still kill and destroy your life. He wants to steal you from people. He wants to kill your dreams. And as you're isolated, he wants to destroy you. This man was broken and had no hope, but he had some faith friends. He had some relationships around him. I want to catch this real quick. If everything is important, nothing is important. You have to decide in this season if relationships are going to become a priority in your life. You have to decide in this season, am I going to actually give time to relationships? Because the bottom line, after 10 years of working so many hours or doing whatever you want to do for yourself, self-centeredness, a lot of times we don't have friends it's because we want to do only what we do. Have you noticed that? When we're around ourselves, we have a great time. I've never made myself mad once. I'm batting a thousand. But you get around some friends, you get around relationships, and you are going to have this new refining. The Bible says that as iron sharpens iron, so as one man sharpens another man. You need some sandpaper people in your life. 
I believe this. I think one of the reasons why we don't like relationships, we get into a small group and there's one person that bothers us and they just rub us the wrong way. And so you run away from a relationship, but God say, no, I'm trying to have that person use that sandpaper to rub off your uh, perception of what you think a person should be. That you only want to be isolated around people that you think are fun enough or nice enough. And God say, no, I'm going to teach you how to love. That sandpaper person is developing, I believe, what I call the love muscle. I believe we suck at loving people. We really do. We're selective servants when it comes to loving, but God's called us to love anyone and everyone. doesn't mean we're everybody's best friend, but man, we got to have a relationship with people in the church. I wrote this uh, next thing down. I want you to catch this. Is that I want to give you three practical steps to relationships. So I want to encourage you to sharpen the axe, but I want to I show you how to swing the axe even. And one of the first practical steps to relationships, you've heard me say it before, I love that what, what our announcements are. Our announcements are two things always. It's the community of God, because God values community, so we value community. And then it's the commission of God. Let's go get everybody and tell them about Jesus. Amen. And one of the ways that we live out the community of God is we're doing dinner parties, of course, but we have these things called small groups. And if you are wondering, like, man, how do I find a relationship here? You, Sunday's great. Hey, what's up? Nice to see you. Hi, goodbye. All good. But to actually create relationship, you have to commit to a season of being around people and maybe even more than one small group. You might go to one small group and there might be five sandpaper people and be like, why God, they're all crazy. You know, <laughs> save me, please. I just want one person to encourage me. These people are crazy. Go to another one. It's going to take time. Again, botanical. It is a process to find relationships that flourish. I remember hearing a story of a church and it's a big church. I always find it fascinating when people are like, I, big church sucks. I'm like, why? I've, I've actually been to a lot of small churches, and they are crazy and dysfunctional as all get out. There's 70 people, and they think isolated thoughts, and they don't really grow, and they don't care about the people on the outside walls. They only want community, but they don't want to live the commission of God. And they're basically all, they're trying to wear out their pastor because their pastor's everybody's best friend. Instead of pastoring him, he's only their friend. It's actually not very healthy. Now, don't get me wrong. There are small churches, big churches. The size of your church does not make you healthy or unhealthy. All I'm saying is that health is something that every church should desire, and I think relationship is one of the healthiest things that you can have in church. So this church is about 30,000 people. This pastor sharing a story about one of the small groups. One of the people in the small group lost a loved one, and that loved one was so broken in that moment that it was hard to operate in life. And so that church, he went to go show up, and uh, everybody said, Pastor, you're good. We, we got this. He's like, well, I'm, I'm the pastor of the church. We're like, we know, Pastor, but you, you, we, we got this. We, we know this person. We love this person. Pastor decides to go over anyways, and when he drives up, he sees people mowing the lawn in the small group. He sees people bringing meals to the small group, taking the kids to school for this family. And right there, he saw the vision of this is what the church is supposed to be. And the problem with the church a lot is, I believe this, is that people, when they do fall, when they're broken or when they're paralyzed with fear or paralyzed with bad things that happen in their life, what's happened is, is they did not invest in the things that God told them to invest in. If you're not planted in relationships and you taste defeat, how can people rally around you to bring you back to victory? And my prayer today is that you would see the value in relationships that Jesus sees in relationships. That you would actually say, you know what, for the first time in my life, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone because comfort is, God's not in, God doesn't hate comfort, but I believe comfort is the enemy of your progress of your life. I do. I think it is. I, I think for you to develop character, for you to develop, comfort just holds you back. And get, disrupt our comfort, God. Man, get out of your bubble and actually get in a small group and see what happens. Because when that happens, you get to be a faith friend for somebody else too. I wrote this down in the second point, another uh, practical thing. Ask someone to, to coffee or to golf that you see potential in. I uh, was new to the area, I was working at a church, 
And this random guy Facebook messaged me, you want to go golfing? I'm like, who Facebook messages somebody you want to go golfing that you don't know? But it was at a nice golf course, so I said yes. <laughs> Just keeping it real. It wasn't, wasn't some muni. It was like, it was like TPC, uh, TPC San Francisco. I was like, yes, please. <laughs> I don't even care if you're from Craigslist. I'm in, you know? Um, so I just being honest. I show up to golf, and the man's name was Tom Glazier. Never met Tom ever before? Tommy. Got some Tommy fans in the house. All right. So I think Tom's with his wife this weekend celebrating her birthday, uh, the big 3-5. Am I allowed to say her age? I did. Whatever. Okay. Um, whoops. I just kept going. Okay, anyways. Show up, and Tom's like, hey, man, I've been really wanting to hang out. You know, da da I'm like, I've wanted to hang out too, bro. Nice to meet you. Uh, and we golf. Had a great time. And then we got coffee. Then we got lunch. And over the next couple of years, we actually became best friends. Tom's one of my best friends. He invited me to golf. It wasn't a small group. It wasn't this thing where I was like, I sign up here. I walk into a group. Will you be best friends? Shake hands. We walk together to church now. That's not what it was. <laughs> I'm not against a, uh, a structure to help people flow in a relationship. But I think one of the things that the Bible shows is that we're supposed to go from toddlers to actually mature believers. And I believe that toddlers do not invite people out to, uh, to go- coffee and out to lunch, but I believe mature believers do. When you see potential in a, in a friendship or potential in maybe even mentoring and discipling somebody, potential in a connection, the Bible says in Corinthians that God knits the body together. So I'm always aware of watching for a heart knitting in the church. Lord, why are you opening my eyes to that human being in this season? Why is it that I feel drawn to that person, Lord? What is it in my spirit that you're, oh, Lord, you're knitting the body together. You're knitting the church together. You, you are, and don't walk out the person, I believe God is knitting us together. We should get coffee after church. <laughs> if you do that at our church, I don't. Mission Church ain't going to be that church, okay? But I believe one of the most practical ways for our church to flourish in relationship is for everybody to own this principle. And here's the deal. You're going to have to kiss some frogs before you find the prince. Can, I get, can we be honest? Yes? I believe in that principle. I'm not saying kiss people. What I am saying is that you might go out to some awkward lunches. I mean, I've been to some awkward dinners in my life. I have been to places where I texted my friend, I am at this address. If I do not show up tomorrow, I am gone. <laughs> Call the cops. That's why I like public places now more. Doesn't mean I don't go to people's houses for dinner, but what I'm telling you is, if you are expecting for someone else to invite you to a meal, you lost it. You're still the toddler. I, I, I debating on saying this. I'm going to say it. We don't need relational pastors. We need a relational church. Rachel and I, I'll just be honest, we, we are trying our best to help connect people. And the last month and a half, we felt like we were just failing everybody because everybody wants to connect. And I want to connect to everybody. And what I realized is that for us to actually have a church of impact, it can't be built around a pastor or, or a pastor and his wife. It's got to be built around all of us. Not the talents of a few, but the sacrifices of many. And man, I want to, I want to pastor and I want to love everybody. I do. I, I'm, I am hyper-relational. I love it. I love it. But the problem is, is I, we'll get an email like, hey, you want to get dinner? Yeah, how does 2021 sound? Now, there are benefits and there are cons about a church as it grows. One of the, one of the pros of a small church, everybody can hang out together because it's basically a small group. But the, the pro of this church as we grow 
is the bigger we grow, the smaller we must grow. And the bigger we grow, the bigger impact we have on community. Do you hear what I'm saying? I want to change the world with you. Let's change the world. Last thing that we need to do is for relationships and to flourish is we need to be a great friend first. We need to go in with the, atten- the, in the intention of being a great friend and a faith friend first, not a taking person. I mean, people can feel that right away. They can feel right away if you're coming into a place just to take and just to want and just to have relationship, but you really don't want to pour out on people. Man, that is not, that is not magnetic because that's actually not the spirit of God. The spirit of God is not taking. The spirit of God is giving. People are attracted to the spirit of God. They're not attracted to the flesh. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so my prayer is as, as we walk into a new relational season at the church, I believe this, that we're going to have a flourishing church and relationships. And we're already seeing it. Our, it's crazy how many people are in small groups. It's amazing the stories I hear about people relating and connecting. But I want us to take it to a whole nother level. I want our church to have an abundance of relationship. Can I get an amen? Let's keep going. Next, the next thing. So th- that person had relationships, rallied around them, brought them in. So that was the first point we see in this faith story. Second thing we see from the friends is there is faith in the preparation. There is faith in the preparation. I wrote, I've taken this part of the story for granted, but the more years I've lived, I've I realized that preparation is one of the most important parts ever. What am I talking about preparation? Here's what I mean. So they have their friend, they bring him in, and they have so much faith that if they get him to Jesus, that they will um, see their friend saved and healed. So what do they do? I can't get there. So this is a bunch of, okay, what do we do? Okay, let's get a rope. Let's pull him up on the roof, and then let's cut a hole in the roof, and then let's drop him in the roof. That's a lot of things to prepare to get him to Jesus. Can we agree with this? There's this moment in the, in the Bible where Elisha has, everybody dig the holes. You heard me preach about this when it's time to fight. And it's this fascinating moment because, again, like, it takes just as much faith to dig the holes as it does to receive the rain for the holes. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so Elisha says to the people and kings, hey, okay, there's no water. God's going to have a rain, but dig holes before the rain. And the reason why they have to have faith to dig the holes is, what good is it if you have the blessing of God come on your life but you have no holes of depth to receive the blessing from. I want you to catch this real quick. There is faith in the preparation. There is, there is flourishing in the preparation. Let's keep going with this thought. It says in Haggai that basically the money would come and they had holes in their pockets. So your life, when blessing comes to you in this season, when a friendship comes to you in this season, when you get promoted in this season, if you don't have the depth of preparation, of praying, of reading your word, of being around other disciples that have challenged you, what will happen is those relationships will come into your life and they will fall through the holes of your life because you don't have the holes yet to to reap the blessing of rain. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's something special about just allowing the Lord to do the work in the garage before you get on the racetrack of life. All of us love the racetrack, not a lot of us love the garage. And there is such a blessing in trusting God in the preparation. I wrote a handful of simple things down, but these are things I believe that every believer should do in the preparation before they leave their house or, or the days or the weeks that they're living. It says this. First practical way to prepare, and there's, there's, there's uh, a flourishing in it, is you need to read the word. You need to read the word. The word of God is such a gift. And if you read for five minutes before you leave, fantastic. Don't, don't put this huge weight. i got to read for 30 minutes, and then I'm going to devo for another hour, and then God's going to love me. One of my favorite things a theologian said to me, I read about seven chapters a morning, and I've, and I've built my capacity to that. Seven chapters a morning is uh, the reading the Bible every five months. But when I first started reading, it was one chapter a day. And I don't even just read seven chapters, read seven chapters. I read till I, hear, I, I feel my heart burn. And what I mean by I feel my heart burn, I read till I feel my soul come to life from something God has said to me. I don't read for information. I read for transformation. I, I look at the word of God, and when I read it, I'm looking for God to say, you see that in there, Tyler? That's not supposed to be there. 
let me take it out right now. Tell you, I want to deposit, something's missing. And when I read, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's what you want to deposit in my heart today. And if you want to enjoy the race of life, you have to get in the garage of the word and allow the Lord to do the things he's supposed to do in your life. Does this make sense? Yes. Second one is prayer. Prayer is one of the most practical ways that you can prepare for the, the, the flourishing life. It says in, in, in Matthew 7, it's very simple teaching, but it's effective prayer. It says, those who seek will find, those who knock, the door will be opened. And so what, what he's comparing prayer to, this is Jesus, is he's comparing prayer as knocking on a door. So I wrote this quote down. Why would doors open if you aren't even knocking? Our prayers are ways we knock on the doors of our destiny. Stop. You have things that I believe are divine destiny for your life. You want things to happen in your life. You want doors to open. But how does anybody even open a door if you've never knocked? So God is saying, hey, before you leave today, there are some closed doors, but I want to open them for you. But I'm such a good God that I, I believe that the only way that you will flourish is I invite you to participate in this journey. So what I pray over my life, what I've been praying over Mission Church is, Lord, today, open the doors you're supposed to open today. Open the relationships, open favor, open provision. Lord, I'm knocking on heaven today. I'm knocking with my prayers. Why would these doors open if I never pray? Why? Would it, why? why, why? It, 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 it counteracts the principle. You reap what you sow. I also pray, Lord, oh, please, please keep the door shut I'm not supposed to walk through. Oh, Lord, you direct with closed doors. Oh, you direct. How I got to Walnut Creek is because so many closed doors led me here, Lord. Lord, I rejoice in closed doors. Lord, show me the open ones and keep the ones shut that are supposed to be shut. Man, for you to have a flourishing life, you have to fall in love with the preparation of faith. And last but not least, seek counsel. It's a practical way to prepare for your life. It says those who, who are surrounded by the wise will become wise. Again, isolation business. I, it's shocking to me how many people make huge life decisions without a handful of people speaking into it. It's shocking to me. I, I, I'll say, I always wonder how many people's lives could avoid heartache, how many marriages could be saved, how many friendships could flourish if we just spoke up and sought some counsel from somebody else. How many kids could be raised a little different maybe because we asked somebody else, hey, how do you um, raise your kids when they're struggling with this? Hey, my wife and I were struggling with this. How do you guys navigate this in a spiritual way? Oh my goodness, what a crazy idea for the church. Because here's the deal, ready? Somebody over here has a wealth of wisdom from God that he's given pearls from heaven and they have it. Somebody over here has pearls from heaven and they have it. The church gets really special when we start sharing the pearls of wisdom with each other. And the way we share the pearls of heaven with each other is that we actually get in a group of people and we ask questions and we have a humble posture to learn from other people. The enemy does not want you to seek counsel because if you seek counsel, you will avoid pits and traps and cliffs that he wants you to fall into. Faith in the preparation. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to finish with this. And last but not least, faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. I wrote, to go through everything these people went through, they had to have a lot of faith. You don't tell your friend that is paralyzed, y'all, I'm about to bring you somebody to change your life. You don't cut a hole in a roof. You don't fight to get them down there without having faith in where you're going. And it's a faith not of this world. It really is. It's a whole different level. I wrote that faith will affect your passion. Faith will affect your passion. And the story that I keep going to, and I love how the Lord uh, works, is I, I came across that story of Jehoash when he comes to Elisha, and it's the story of where he knocks the arrows, and he says, shoot the arrow, and 
I, I, I taught him when wake up and fight because it's an amazing moment where uh, Elisha is teaching Joash how to fight spiritually. But it's a sad moment also because King Joash basically fails in the opportunity. And I believe all of us have an opportunity in this season. 2018 will not rewind. It will not rewind. We have a few more months left. 2019 is going to happen no matter how you live. It is going to happen. 2019 is going to happen no matter how you live. And so Elisha asks Jehoash, pound the arrows. And again, faith will affect your passion. And I believe he has faith in Elisha because he's seen Elisha do a lot of things. And when you have faith in a man, it will make you compliant, but it will not make you committed. And there's something about compliance. Yeah, I'll come to church because you go, and I'll, I'll do it because of you. Yeah, I'll kind of raise my hands because the pastor said raise your hands. Don't have faith in me. That's only going to get you compliance, and that's not going to get you anywhere. Because Jehoash knocks the arrows three times. One, two, three. And Elisha is so upset with him. Why didn't you just keep knocking the arrows? You would have had victory. You would have killed it. You would have had everything if you just would have kept knocking the arrows. And there's so many pearls from this moment. One is, I think a lot of us do just enough just to survive. And the word shows that you're not supposed to just do just enough just to survive, but you're supposed to pound the arrows to have victory not for yourself, but for a whole region. The only way that you have passion to get on your face and say, God, I believe that this season of my life is going to be different. Not because of who I am, not because of my history, but because of what the word says. I believe my marriage is going to be different. I pound the arrows of those things right now, Lord. I'm going from passivity to passion. Lord, I believe Mission Church is going to be used differently. Not because of who I am, because I have faith in God. Not faith in myself, not faith in you, not faith in anything, except that he wants to have his kingdom come and his will be done. There's something about the way you pray when you have faith in the right things. Something about the way that you read your word when you have faith in the right things. Something about the way you invite people to church when you have faith in the right things. Oh, if I just get this person in the building, they is done. Because I got faith when God starts talking, people start listening, people start changing. I believe that. I remember when I first got saved at my first church, and man, I was making people come to church with me. And I'll be honest, not everybody got saved, but I would basically say, hey, you come to church. I don't want to come to church. I don't, I don't care you don't want to come to church. You have to come see what I'm experiencing. You got to come check this out. And I had a lot of friends because I was a social butterfly, if I could put it that way. So it's flying everywhere all the time. And uh, people were coming like crazy. And I just had this faith. And I'd bring them, I'd bring them the second row. Second row is where the Lord touched my life. It was the second row where I just started weeping. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what my life's supposed to be lived for. That Jesus died for me, that Jesus has plans for my life, that, that I'm supposed to have joy and not depression, that I'm not supposed to have suicidal thoughts, I'm supposed to have thoughts of joy. And there'd be certain people that I'd be like, hey, you sit right here, you sit in this seat. They're like, why, just trust me. It's good. I started having this amazing journey and it was the most fruitful part of my life ever more people I led Jesus ever in my life at that moment. What I love about preparing for a message and what I love about sharing it with you is I believe that for me even to preach an effective message is that it must be preached first to my soul before I even preach it to you. I started looking at my own life and some things need to flourish again in my life. I need to have that same faith, passion that if people can just hear the name of Jesus that it will change their life. I want my evangelism to flourish again. I want things in my soul to flourish again. And the only way that happens is if I actually believe in what God told me to do. Does this make sense?